Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first four verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. When I was first married, um, I was going to seminary full-time and being a youth pastor full-time, and Chris was um, working at a little bit as well downtown Minneapolis. Um, we weren't making a lot of money, um, and so at times, as you, if you remember back, perhaps that was your experience when you first got married, um, it was difficult at time to cover all of our expenses, and so one month in particular, I remember back that we had a lot of bills, more bills and things that went uh, wrong, so to speak, than we normally do. And uh, I was trying to figure out how we we're going to cover all those things, and I thought I figured it out. And so I wrote checks for everything that I thought that we could cover, and I thought everything was okay, that I had enough in my account. But a few days later, I got this letter in the mail from the bank. And this was an explanation, and it had three letters on it. Can you imagine what those three letters were? What's that? NSF. You know what that means? Yes, non-sufficient funds. And not only did they say that, you know, my check bounced basically and didn't pay, but they fined me. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I already told you I couldn't pay it, but how am I going to pay that? Um, non-sufficient funds. I, I, you know what? I didn't have enough. Now see, what was true of my bank account is never, as a Christian, true of my Bible account. Um, I'll never draw on more than what the Bible can give me. That's the sufficiency of Scripture in a nutshell. That God's Word is always enough. But let me tell you, enough for what? Well, Peter doesn't leave us guessing. And these two verses, small but pregnant with meaning and impact and influence... His divine power, it says, that all the power that God has, I wish we had time tonight to go through how powerful he is, because I would, but his power, infinite power, has granted to us, encircle it, all things, some translations say everything, everything we need, or all things that pertain to life and godliness. I won't tell you the whole detail of it, but there's a Greek pattern in the New Testament that sometimes two words connected by the, the conjunction and are the same, one and the same. In other words, to say, make it simple, it really should be all things that pertain to godly living. Life and godliness is, is the same thing, meaning it's godly living. So what, what is the Bible sufficient for? Dave put it very clearly and succinctly, is that living the Christian life, to live out and behave the things that we believe in the word of God teaches. And so God's power 
has given us that ability. All things. Now, if you look at the Greek structure of that verse, real quickly, the word all things comes first in the sentence. Now, we, we emphasize things in our American language differently, but when you, one of the ways that you can emphasize very strongly the important part of a sentence in Greek is to put the wrong word first. And that's what this verse does. It would go like this. All things that pertain to life and godliness, he's given us power for. Right? So he wants to stress this. Everything. And I love that because sufficiency means everything. Not most things, not some things, not everything, but a few things. All things. All things. God's word is sufficient. Now, everything doesn't mean about everything. You can't open your Bible, and boy, I wish I could have because I could have used this in my life. It doesn't tell you how to uh, program a computer. It doesn't tell you how to do Algebra 2, which is where I fail at, and on up, and calculus and all that. It doesn't help you do that. It doesn't help you perform a surgery, uh, like to take someone's appendix out. It doesn't, it's not exhaustive or comprehensive about all those things. But it does, by the way, because it is sufficient in all the things that the Bible pertains to for godly living, it can give you, though, a mental framework and a, and a mindset so that you can make good decisions about all those other things that it doesn't directly speak to. And so everything for godly living. So it means this, every essential truth tonight that you need, every principle that you need, every commandment of Scripture, all the wisdom that you need to make wise choices in life, it's who you should marry, how you're going to be a good parent, raising your children, how am I going to face anxiety, what do I do to overcome depression, all those things and many more, everything, listen, everything that you need to live a godly life, God has given to you through his power that you can live it out. And he's done it through the word of God. Now real quickly, I have a slide here. Three views of Scripture are out there, and I'm going to really just scan them. They are these, that the Bible is not relevant and it's not sufficient, and this would be the view that lost people take. And they would say this, that the Bible is, and maybe you've heard this argument when you've talked to people about what the Bible says about an issue, and they would say to you, oh yeah, it doesn't matter because the Bible is kind of antiquated, it's kind of outdated, it's ancient, it's not up with modern times, it really isn't relevant for the problems and the things that are going on in our day. So they want to dismiss the authority of Scripture because it's not relevant, and therefore because it's not relevant, it's certainly less than sufficient to meet, we would say, they would say it's deficient. On the extreme end of that, there would be people who say that the Bible isn't even inerrant and it's a bunch of myths and fables and it's not even inspired. It's not certainly God's word. So that would be the one that's the easiest for us to set aside because that would be the view that non-Christians take. The other two, however, are a little different. The second view is that the Bible is not relevant, but it is sufficient. All right? It's sufficient for things, but it's not altogether sufficient. In other words, here's what they would say. The Bible's sufficient for a lot of things, but it's not relevant to modern problems. And so there are, there, we're in a, a day, really right now, that there are people who used to be what we would call conservative Christians that are becoming what has been labeled progressive. And so now the Bible to them really doesn't have the direct way of talking about homosexuality anymore and they want to contextualize it and they want to make arguments that aren't true about what the Bible teaches and on moral issues they want to make room for the Bible giving actually 
You know, I've read, <laughs> I've read books, actually, that believe that God supports transgender and God is all for homosexuality. And so it's, it's amazing. But it's not just in moral issues. It's also in emotional issues and psychological issues, and I would say actually more prevalent and dominant. There's a view that God can help you only so far when you're dealing with worry and anxiety, especially if you're experiencing anxiety attacks, depression. It can help you with just being kind of sad, but if you have wholesale depression or to use a label of psychology, bipolar, all those things. See, God can't really help your word. The word isn't sufficient for schizophrenia. And what they would tell you is, is that I'm not going to go see my pastor about that because he's not a professional. And that kind of language and talk is about people who believe that God's word really isn't sufficient. I would say it this way. They are people, they wouldn't like this, but they, they believe that God's word is sufficient for justification, but not sufficient for sanctification. In other words, God's word is enough to get you saved, but not to keep you sanctified. In other words, it'll get you into heaven, but it can't help you live with everything that you live while you're on earth. And so they would say the all things that pertain to life and godliness, even that is limited. Now that is not, if you can tell already, that's not the view that I or our church would take. But there are people out there, and in the psychology level, it's called integration. They want to say God's word is good, but it needs help from secular psychology because they have things figured out that the Bible doesn't have any clue about, right? That's one view. That's not ours. The last view is ours, and that is that the Bible is both. It is relevant, and it is sufficient. Two truths undergird this, and that is this, that God's truth and word is timeless. It never changes Dave mentioned it again, Psalm 119. Go through that psalm, and numerous times it says statements like this, Long ago I have known your testimonies, and you have founded them forever. Every one of your righteous rules endure forever. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And over and over again, when it talks about God's word and the truth of God's word, it's attached to the word forever. So God's word is not antiquated, it's not outdated, it is relevant, it is timeless, it is immutable, it is unchanging, it is always relevant, and it is always sufficient. It is good enough and more than good enough for us to draw on anything that we need to live a godly life. Now, how do we get that? Look at the verse again. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Ready? Through the knowledge of him. So God, listen, God's power works through God's promises. Did you see that in the text? He's given us precious and very, so God's power works through God's promises. We don't get the power to change our lives. We don't have the power to live the godly life he wants us to apart from scripture. Now, I don't have this as a screen, uh, I mean a slide, but Write these down if you have your Bible, if you're taking notes tonight, real quickly. Knowledge. The word knowledge throughout 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 2, we already saw it. Grace and peace multiply to you in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 3, we have do the knowledge of him. Verses 5 and 6, add to your faith with knowledge. And then verse 8, keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2.20, if after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it, it's like bookends to this book. P2, 
Peter says, let me tell you how powerful and important the word of God is. I begin with telling you that everything that you do in your Christian life has to be worked through knowing Christ through the Bible. And he ends the same way because the very last verse of this book says, but grow in the grace and what? Knowledge. So he he says seven times over and over and over again, you want to escape the corruption of the world. You want to live above sin in your life. You want to have multiple, multiplied peace and, and grace in your life. You want to keep growing spiritually. You want to keep yourself from being ineffective and on the other side be fruitful. You see, you want all those things. You know what comes from? You know where the power to do all that comes from? The knowledge of God. The scriptures, that's where it comes from in our lives. And in particular, and I'm going to be done here in a minute. In particular, he says, it's very precious and very great promises. Precious is a word that Peter uses four times in 1 Peter, once here, and it means this, to have value. It's the word that means to honor someone. It's to show their worth. Here's what the Bible says. That God's scriptures are worth everything. So let me tell you this. The Bible, I'm going to put this slide up there, Steve. That the Bible is sufficient because Christ is sufficient. The people that say that the Bible's relevant but it's not sufficient are doing harm to the scriptures. Why? Because they're saying something also about Jesus in that statement. You cannot say the Bible's sufficient and not Christ is sufficient. And you can't say that Christ is sufficient and not the Bible. So if Christ is sufficient, the Bible is sufficient. And that means he does have the answers to your anxiety. He does have a biblical answer to bulimia and anorexia, to use those psychological labels and people who struggle with being thin and food orders, disorders, quote-unquote, and all that. He has answers for your depression. He has answers for those things in your life. He does through his promises, through his word. Now, all throughout 2 Peter, he doesn't just call them scripture or promises, all kinds of different words. Listen to this. This is all just in Second Peter. He calls the Bible scripture. He calls it the prophetic word, the word of God, the same word, prophets, prophecy, commandments, the true proverb. Why does he use so many different descriptions? Here's why. Listen, because the way God has set it up as he comes about being sufficient to us in every area of life in all different ways as he communicates in different ways the scripture. Sometimes it comes in commandments. Sometimes it comes in prophecies. Sometimes it comes as wisdom proverbs. And sometimes it comes as the word of God and the revelation that he's given to us in other ways. But here's what the Bible is. God has sufficiently given us everything we need, all different kinds of ways to meet all kinds of different problems in our life. But here's what you can't do. Listen, see all the different ways he's communicated his word and his sufficiency? Here's what it means. The Bible is not an encyclopedia, right? You can't just open it up and say, oh, problem, anxiety. Uh, yeah, okay, and he's step one. No, it's not, like, it's not a cookbook. Depression, I need three of this, and I need two of that, and I gotta stir my life a little bit. It's not a cookbook, it's a divine book. It's a divine book that's sufficient the way that God has set it up. So we can't integrate a little bit of this and a little psychology and a little bit of this and some homespun wisdom and some ideas of how our experience works and throw it all in there and voila, it works. No, God has set it up that he is enough through his word, period, period. 
So what about, Pastor Walker, what about the topics the Bible doesn't cover? What about the things that the Bible doesn't directly speak to? Can I tell you this? That's why he has all the different terminologies. Because the Bible may not directly speak to it. In other words, someone asked me not too long ago, it's the will of God. How do I know whether I should buy this car, marry this person, have this house, spend this money? How do I know that? Because the Bible doesn't directly say, thou shalt buy that yellow car, whatever. Because God has spoken to us and be sufficient in all kinds of ways. Remember? Commandments, prophecies, wisdom. So God has been sufficient for us. So he does cover all those areas. He can help you tonight if you are down in the dumps or you in deep depression his word addresses those things. If you're, you need tonight as a husband and wife, you need what we call a marriage tune-up or you are on the brink of divorce, God's word is sufficient for either one of them. I have talked to, and forgive the labels, I have talked to people that would be called cutters who cut themselves. Um, I've talked to people who are obsessive control people People who are, and they would call themselves worriers, but it's beyond that. I have talked to people and actually had a guy throw his wedding ring at me in a hospital room who was abusing his wife. I have talked to multiple times drug addicts and drunks who have had a lifestyle of that until it's almost incredibly ruined their health and their relationships. I have talked to on numerous occasions of teenagers and people who were adults that wanted to and have tried to take their own lives. And can I tell you this? I don't have to tell them, go see a professional. You know why? Because the word of God is sufficient. It is enough. It can bring someone back together as husband and wife. It can bring someone back from the fringe of killing themselves and people who cut themselves and people who are addicts. See, I don't have to have, not that there aren't treatment programs out there that do a great job, obviously the Christian-based ones. I have talked to people who financially are in ruin and are about have to foreclose on their home. And I know the Bible, see, the Bible has a word for that. The Bible is sufficient for that to get you have your money back in its relational conflicts. The Bible talks about that. Anxiety and people who, and again, this is a label, attacks. And they don't understand what that means even or how that happens. But the Bible understands it and schizophrenia, and double personality. See, God has answers to your psychological, emotional, spiritual problems. He does. He has answers to it. And so I want you to know tonight, in fact, I'd love you to leave with a greater confidence in the Bible, knowing this, that God's word is sufficient for all the needs I have, and he's required me to live a godly life. And that's why I wanted you to see and here's Saji tonight. God's word does not tell us and open up and say, here's what's wrong with your spine. Here's what's wrong with all the problems in your pinched nerve. And here's how you can get feeling. The Bible doesn't address that, but the Bible has everything Saji needs to respond correctly to all of that. See, he cannot control and could not control what happened to his body, but he can happen what's in his body, and that's how he responds to it. And that's what Saji's testimony, why it's so powerful and why God wants his word to be that powerful in your life. See, tonight I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what 
physical diagnosis you're under. I don't know what financial pressure or relational conflict that you're trying to work your way through. I don't know what wisdom you need to make a decision in one area or another of your life. But here's what I know. Even though I don't know any of that, here's what I do know. That God's word has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life. So let me tell you this. If you're not reading it, you better start. If you're not memorizing it, please do. If you're not meditating on it and looking and searching the scriptures to see what God's word says about what you're facing in your life, you need to. And if you need help, we're here for you. We love to take the Bible and show you how God would have you face and respond to the problems you're facing because whatever it is, God's word. And even if it's a medical issue and it's not directly related to the Bible, see, God can help you think properly through that how you would respond to it so that in that situation and anything like it, you can still live a godly life that honors the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight that your word is enough. It is sufficient. It is all that we need. Oh, what a wonderful word. We we can hold your word in our hands. What an awesome privilege. May we never underestimate it. May we never overlook it. And certainly may we never take it for granted. But instead, may we love it. And as the psalmist said, may it be our delight day and night. And may it be our constant meditation that we might be informed, transformed, and as a result, conformed to Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for that. In his matchless name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.